Amen. Three weeks from now is Easter. As we come in the approach of one of the high points or the high point of the Christian year as we celebrate that we know that as we come to that approach that you do not get to the resurrection without first going through the cross. And so this morning I wanted to talk to us uh, about the cross, but I warn you in coming to the cross we plumb into the depths of, uh, of the human problem and what God has done to, to deliver us from it. So you have to dig real deep before you can rise on the other side. So this morning we are in Matthew chapter 27 in verses 45 through 50. Forsaken. Hear the word of God. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. And that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine. And they put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And then he yielded up his spirit. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come this morning to to the foot of the cross to hear our Savior cry out in his agony as we come to your word, we plead for your spirit that you might open our hearts and minds to understand fully what it is you have done for us, that we might more fully enter into the joy of our salvation, all that you have given us in your Son all that you have done for us. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 46, when Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, two things about that is, uh, one, that is Aramaic, that, uh, that it would be Jesus' native, native language. Uh, most people in the uh, Roman world at this time were bilingual, that they spoke their native languages often are not, and then the common language, which was Greek. It was a, a, a language that pervaded the entire Greco-Roman Empire and was the common language. And so Jesus, here in his agony, falls back into his Aramaic. He cries out in his own tongue, a passionate expression that comes from Psalm 22. It's a quote from, uh, from what we would call a messianic psalm, a psalm of David which is a passionate expression, a a passionate picture of a victorious sufferer. If you read that psalm, the whole first half of it is an expression of of suffering and brokenness, and then the whole second half of it is is an expression of trust and praise and triumph in a God who saves. And so the psalm opens, Psalm 22 opens with this sentence, this cry of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As I was reading this and thinking about it and looking at the psalm, which the psalms are are in many ways the cries and prayers of Jesus, but it's, it's really the cries and prayers of all of God's people. It's our prayer book. It's where we learn to pray. We find the expression. I thought about this expression. I'm thinking that it is a cry that your heart is not unfamiliar with. And 
And I know mine isn't. There are many times in our lives, whether it's in our loneliness, in our suffering, in our times where we feel betrayed, times of disappointment, times of hurt, I mean, you name it, your heart goes to that dark place and your heart cries out, my God, my God, why? Why? Where are you? Why do I feel abandoned? Why does it Why does it feel like this? Why does it feel like you are far away? And hopefully our experience is that the clouds lift. And we are reminded. We're reminded in the promise of his word. We're reminded in the exercise of our faith. We are reminded in the experience of his love. And we remember and we know that God never leaves us. That God never forsakes us. That our God is never far from us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, we know you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But then that raises another question, at least for me. My God, my God, why are you so good to me? Why are you so close to me? Why do you never leave me and forsake me? And I know I do not deserve, day by day, your presence and your grace and your love toward me. The answer to that question, that second question, stands at the center of the Christian message. It stands at the center of what it means to be a Christian. And it is a source of endless wonder, a source of endless worship. This fact that we are never abandoned, that we are never forsaken because... Jesus was abandoned and forsaken for us. You see, the gospel is is this. Every punishment that we deserve, every punishment that any person deserves from God in this life for our sin was suffered by Jesus. He was forsaken. So that we would not have to be forsaken. And here we really tread on mysterious ground. We tread on holy ground. And I confess it is difficult for me to understand a great part of this. Other than to proclaim what I hear the scripture saying. And I believe to be absolutely true. That the son of God was crucified and suffered for us. In our place. In our stead. As our substitute. In verse 46, we're told that now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. That is, from noon until three, the world was plunged into darkness. We know that the, uh, the Jewish day would start at 6 a.m. That's the first hour. We know that Jesus was nailed to the cross at the third hour, at 9 o'clock in the morning. And we're told then from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, The world is plunged into darkness. So in the first three hours, 9 to 12, Jesus is suffering crucifixion as literally tens of thousands of people suffered crucifixion at the hands of the Romans at this time. Tens of thousands in Palestine. But at noon, something changes. At 12 o'clock, something unusual happens. It's not 
part of the experience of crucifixion as those who watched them in those days took place. At 12 o'clock, darkness descends and blots out the noonday sun. And out of the darkness, Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you gone? He takes Psalm 22 on his lips. Words that would be familiar to every Jewish mind and heart. He uses it to articulate a suffering that I believe the Scripture teaches us and leads us to believe that it articulates a suffering that goes far beyond crucifixion, which is bad. What's going on here in these hours of darkness? And Jesus is suffering and crying out in abandonment. What's going on in in some indescribable way? Jesus is experiencing the forsakenness that is deserved by all of those who have forsaken God, by all of those who have turned their back on Him. In some way, Jesus is dying a double death. Now, what do I mean by a double death? Well, the the Bible speaks about two kinds of life, and then it speaks about two kinds of death. It speaks about physical life and physical death, but it also speaks of a spiritual life and a corresponding spiritual death. God told Adam and Eve in the garden a story that is familiar to almost everyone. And told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree. And the day that they do, the day that they rebel against his command, the day that they disobey his word, the day that they do what he has told them not to do, the day that they rebel against God and his kingship and his lordship, the day they turn their back on him, the day they eat of the fruit of the tree, he said, you will die. We know that Adam and Eve didn't die immediately physically. But it paints a picture there that is painted throughout the rest of Scripture that what happened was that there was a spiritual death. And we know the effects of this death if we say it's a forsakenness of God. We know that there is a separation that took place between man and woman and their creator because when God comes back, he finds Adam and Eve are running and they're hiding. They are fleeing from God and his presence And God, in a sense, is mutual about what has happened because not only have they fled and hidden from Him, but God casts them out. They are sent out of the garden, and out of the garden is a sense out of His presence and His fellowship. And the way back into the garden is closed. There's no way back. They're cast out of the presence of the Lord. And this is the essence, as the Bible describes it, as far as we can understand, of spiritual death. We know a physical death is the separation of the spirit and the body in the ending of this life. Spiritual death is a separation from that spirit, that soul, from God. Separation, alienation from God, the ultimate torment of the soul. And so Paul speaks of this under your second point in your outline in the bulletin. Paul speaks of this in 2 Thessalonians 1, and he says this. As he speaks of the reality of hell, he says that they will suffer the punishment of an eternal destruction, of an eternal death. And he describes it this way, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. 
away from His presence, cast out, and in that sense, forsaken. Jesus describes it, and Jesus spoke more of hell than anyone else in the Scripture, and it's one of the reasons that we feel that it's a doctrine that we can't abandon, no matter what the going thinking is out there, that if Jesus spoke in the New Testament, I think that, that, that hell is mentioned 12 times, 11 times, it's on Jesus' lips. 11 times, it's Jesus who teaches us more about understanding it and what it is in its reality than anybody else in Scripture. And Jesus says this in Matthew 25, just a couple chapters earlier. He says, cast out the worthless servant. You have to take worthless here as Adam and Eve, as they disobey God's word, they take and eat when he said don't. You know, in disobedience, in rebellion, in not following God's way, not following his word, not, not listening to his command. He says, cast out the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And that will be a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? Cast, cast them out into, into the darkness. Right? And the scripture tells us so clearly, God is light. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And to cast out into the darkness is to be cast away from his presence, the presence of light. In fact, in the, in, in, the Revela- in the book of Revelation, as it describes heaven, there's a place where it says it actually won't need the sun and the moon anymore because God will be there. And because God will be our light. Where God is, there is light. And so to be cast into this outer darkness is to be cast away from the presence of God, to be abandoned, to be forsaken. So hell is the realization and the experience of an eternal forsakenness. The soul separated from the God who is light. So Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this. It's there in your bulletin. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now the, the death of the body is one thing, he says. The death of the soul is a whole other thing whole nother animal, right? Don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. The Bible calls hell then the second death, spiritual death, the place of forsaken souls, the place of separation from the Creator, the separation from light into darkness. So the death of the body in some ways is nothing it's it's inevitable it's the it's the way of all flesh the death of the soul is an eternal tragedy that the bible speaks to again and again the real concern the real concern is for the soul is for the loss of the soul is for an eternal concern and so for a person to forsake god in life like adam rebelling against his word and command and like like all of us in our rebellion from His Word and His ways, from His command. For a person to forsake God in life is to be forsaken by God in eternity and to be cast away from His presence into a darkness. Some of you may be saying, well, Robert, that was depressing. Even a bit disturbing. But I said we've got to plunge deep. Right? We've got to go down deep into when we get to the cross to understand what is going on. You know, in the biblical worldview, in terms of as God sees the world and as God is trying to explain to us, you know, his interpretation of reality and the way things are. 
that there is a body and that there is a soul and that there is a God and that there, is, that there are realities that we must understand about these things. So my friends, you need to hear me that if the bad news wasn't so bad, the good news would not be so good. And now I want you to just step back amen, and think of Jesus on the cross. When he's plunged into a darkness and crying out of the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? Indeed, why? Why would God forsake his only begotten son? Why would he be plunged into darkness and to know this forsakenness that is hell? And the answer is, for you and for me. For you and for me, that if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls, that He is forsaken for us. See, when we say that Jesus died for you, that what we mean is usually something more than a physical death, more than a mere physical death or crucifixion. The physical sufferings of Jesus, the beatings and the crown of thorns that was placed on his head, the cross itself, the nails, the spear in his side, the, the, the physical death itself was for us. But if we, if we don't see that there was even so much more than that going on, we will miss the whole point of what Jesus has actually done and suffered for us and accomplished for us. The infinite spiritual suffering of Jesus on the cross. See, when we say that Jesus died for us, it's shorthand for saying that he experienced both deaths for us, physical death and spiritual death. And the spiritual is the more important of the two in that respect, that he experienced in that understanding because that separation from God, that forsakenness that that is the essence of hell, is, is the judgment and wrath of God against sin. And Jesus, when we say Jesus died for us, is to say that Jesus suffered that, that judgment, that wrath for us in our place. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and we understand that to be the wages of sin is spiritual death, is the second death is that separation from God because He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That His eyes are too pure to look on evil and He cannot tolerate what is wrong. And so Jesus goes to the cross to suffer these wages for all those who will put their faith in Him. And so 1 Peter 2 tells us, 1 Peter 2.24, that He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. To bear our sins in his body is to bear our punishment. To bear what we deserve in our place. And so Isaiah 53, that famous Old Testament picture of of Jesus' work and the cross that he suffered. It's there in your bulletin. He says that he was pierced on that cross for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Like Adam and Eve, like that worthless servant. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. But the Lord, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 
He took it. He suffered it. He paid for it. When did the Lord lay on him the iniquity of us all? And I believe the answer is in the darkness of this moment. You know, when, the, when from the sixth to the ninth hour, darkness covered the land. And out of that darkness, Jesus cries out to his God in an anguish, in a suffering that, that we will never understand, praise God, that we will never experience because he did that we cannot really touch, and we have to kind of walk around it and, and look at it. And even as we do, there's a soberness. There's a soberness that is appropriate and right as we stand and gaze at this darkness and this cry that arises out of it, and we taste in it. We taste in it the very horrors of hell, and we look at it. And sometimes we walk way too quickly past it and accept what it means for us without fully seeing what it is our Savior has done for us, what it is He has suffered for us. When the Father laid on Him, on Him, the iniquity of us all. And He bore the full wrath of God in our place. G. Campbell Morgan commenting on this verse, it's there in your bulletin. The third point, he says, the death of Christ by which men are saved, the laying down of his life out of which comes the possibility of this renewed life was finished before the physical death occurred. That dying was experienced when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was cursed with the forsakenness. And the Father turned his face away and Jesus experienced what it feels like to be separated from his God. Galatians 3 there, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming that curse for us, by bearing that curse for us in his own body on the cross. He experienced and he, and he fathomed the full extent of it all down as we talk about that cup that he drank down to its dregs on the cross, that, that Jesus here goes as deep as it can go. And so the great mystery, that we cannot fully explain what happens here. Jesus is forsaken in regard to the presence, the present experience of God's presence, of his love, of his smile. Somehow, some way, Jesus experiences a forsakenness. Somehow that we can't explain, the Son of God experiences the wrath of God. I don't fully know how that works. I don't fully know how that happens. Thabiti Anabwili, he was a Baptist pastor, was in Washington. I think now he's in the Cayman Islands. He's a writer, a speaker, a pastor, a preacher. He wrote this. He said, the spiritual forsakenness, this spiritual wrath from the Father, it occurs deep down in the very Godhead itself. We dare not speculate lest we blaspheme. But something happened. Something was torn in the very fabric of the relationship between the Father and the Son. Something happened there that we cannot even explain or fully describe. But our hearts ought to say, my God, my God. What have you done for me? What have you done? Why am I not forsaken? 
why is my Savior so good? To understand God, you have to come to the cross. Whether you're reading the Old or the New Testament, you cannot understand the whole thing. The God who made everything in Genesis 1 and the God who wraps it all up in Revelation 21 and 2. You know, we cannot understand this God and what it's all about until we come to the cross. It stands at the center of history. And here we see God in a way that we don't see Him anywhere else. Here we get a window into who God is and the nature of His justice and the nature of His love and the, and the heights and the depths of it all in a way that we can't see it anywhere else. The justice that is poured out on Jesus, but the mercy that is at the same moment offered to you and I. The judgment that, that Jesus bears in our place and the grace that is offered to us at the same moment. The darkness that Jesus is plunged into with the offer of eternal light and life to us. The death that Jesus suffers in our place to give us the hope of an eternal life. At the cross, we see God in His justice. We see God serious about sin. We see God serious about darkness and things that are contrary to His nature, contrary to His will and His ways, but contrary to who He is. We see what sin is and we see how God feels about it. Here we learn to take sin seriously, take God seriously. We see the wages that sin earns and His wrath against it, the reality of judgment in hell, and we look at our sin, and then we look at the cross, and we see it fully paid for. We see it fully dealt with. We see it fully washed away in the blood of a Savior who bleeds for us. So at the cross, we see the full glory and extent of God's love. That even while he is pouring out his justice on Jesus, he is at that same moment here at the cross offering the world mercy, grace, hope, life, peace with God. To close the gap, to be reconciled, to be at peace with our creator. At the cross, God's love pays the ultimate price and God himself suffers in our place to save us. And so that old expression, how much does God love you? That one. How much does God love us? You cannot see the heights of His love until you have seen what He has suffered for you. The maximum, ultimate, furthest amount that could possibly be done for us. The cross is the clearest revelation of His love. What God does for us, what we could not do for ourselves. Only at the cross do we understand what it means that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish but could have everlasting life, would never taste the second death, would never come under judgment. 1 Corinthians 1, there in your bulletin, it says the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom and I put in there Americans seek all kinds of things that, that we want to hear and that we are interested in. But Paul says, we preach Christ. Right? Here we preach Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because there it is. The sum up of world history, the spiritual history of the world. 
On the cross, Jesus paid our debt once and for all so that we will never have to pay it ourselves. If you believe that what he did, he did for you. If you believe that the death he died, he died for you. If you believe the price that he paid was the payment of your debt, that what he suffered could set you free. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Will you surrender to Him as the Lord of glory, as the beautiful Savior who suffered in our place? He says in John 5, verse 24, it's there in your bulletin, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when He says that truly, truly, He's like, listen up, get this one. He says, truly, truly, every now and then, Amen and amen, I'm telling you this, I'm telling you this, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he is passed from death into life. Why? Because Jesus passed into death so that we could pass into life. If we would put our hope and our trust and our faith in him, if we would surrender ourselves to our Savior and belong to him, And he says, in that moment, in the moment of faith, we pass from death to life. Don't come under judgment. You don't pass into darkness. We will never never experience that forsakenness. But there is life. There is hope. There is peace. Romans 8.1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation. Because Jesus was condemned. I will never be condemned. Because he died, I will live. Because he was forsaken, I am accepted. I love that song. It's a a new song that we sing that's been out there. I am forgiven because you were forsaken. I am accepted. You were condemned. I am alive and well and the spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Because the father turned his back on the son When our faith is in him, he says he will never turn his back on the child of faith. Because he was forsaken, we will never be forsaken. The promise is he will be with us always. Even to the end of the age. He'll never leave us and forsake us. Even through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I live in the hope of life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we have plunged down into the cross, and in many ways into the very depths of hell that were suffered there, Father, I pray that you would give us two gifts. That this morning you would allow us to see the reality of all that Jesus suffered. That you would also give us eyes to see the gift of eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we are accepted because he was forsaken. Oh, will you lift our eyes in faith. Father, I pray if there are any here this morning who have not given their lives to Christ. Who put their trust and their hope in him. That you will lead them this day to give themselves to Jesus in a way that they never have before. Oh, were the whole realm of nature ours. That were a present far too small. Love so amazing. Love so divine. Demands my life, my soul, 
may we give you the proper return for the love you have shown. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.